Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, Vol Nation. Welcome to another episode of Believe in Tennessee Football. I'm your host, as always, Kyler Kerbison, joined with Reed Bacon. Got another great one here today. We're breaking down the back half of this last season from Ole Miss all the way to Vandy, letting you know how we felt going into the game, how we felt during what that game meant for us. Now, looking back, how important was that game for our growth as a team? Um, and before we get into that, we answer some questions you guys sent us. Um, are able to tell you what we thought and by all means, these were amazing questions and we really, really appreciate um, reaching out. So let's jump into it. The game. Snap, the kick is in the air and the kick this time is no, sir, Reed. No, sir, Reed. Final score, Tennessee 20, Florida 17. Pandemonium reigns. Loads up, fires long for the end zone. The pass is going to be caught on Tennessee. Tennessee wins! by Tennessee, Jawan Jennings. Jennings makes the catch in the end zone on the Hail Mary. Down at the 35, to the 40, to the 45, to the 50, to the 45, to the 40, to the 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. What did he do? All he did was score. Joey Pitt, touchdown on play number one. Okay, so before we jump into the podcast, got to shout out our number one sponsor, betonline.ag. You got to go there to bet on any games. Listen, football, full swing. We're getting into bowl games. We're getting into college football playoffs. It's getting a later half of the NFL, you know, maybe some playoffs coming up. Basketball's in full swing. NBA, college basketball, now just starting up. To make all those games more exciting, you got to bet on them. Put some money down. It really gets the adrenaline going. So for stats, for odds, for spreads, everything that you need, betonline.ag is the place to go. Uh, right now, they've just updated their um, desktop version of their website. So it looks brand new. So go there or on your mobile device. And when you sign up, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. If you use c- code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V. Five zero, so make sure and use that when you when you first sign up and you receive that fifty percent welcome bonus, which is just hey, it's extra money. Why wouldn't you do it? Um, so head on over to uh, betonline.ag. It's it's the best place to do any bets. Um, it's just the best sports book out there. So go on over. All right, welcome in everyone. Um, now we get to talk about the back half of the season. Uh, if you'll notice, me and Reed are wearing the exact same things if you're watching on YouTube, because uh, we just started to record the second uh, episode, the second half of the season. Um, but before we get into that, and before we get into some of your questions you guys asked on Twitter, Reed, how are we doing, bud? <laughs> doing great. It's the exact same how I felt like last <laughs> You guys were yeah. in the pod. 
you're getting one pod one week, next pod the next week. I'm the exact same as I was last week in your eyes, but it's the exact same moment. So I'm all Gucci. Yeah, I I, um, I was on the fence about that because I'm like, well, I mean, obviously Reed is doing the exact same that he was, but I got to start the podcast the same way. I can't change it up. Nice little tradition. That's exactly right. Um, I want people to be very familiar that I say, hello, Vol Nation, that I say, how we doing, bud? That I say, all right, welcome in, everybody. <laughs> that I say, as always, go Vols. Like, it's always yeah. the same every yeah. time. Um, so they're familiar with the voice, I guess. Okay, so before we get into the games, before we break down the second half of this season, let's answer some questions um, from Twitter. So uh, Reed posted the other day. Um, next week we're doing a season recap. Uh, we wanted to know if you guys had any topics or any questions that you want to hear about. So we will start with the first one to answer, uh, Mr. Stay Mad at LOL Stay Mad B. <laughs> uh, his first question, Hendon's highs and lows and the potential that he doesn't live up to expectations next season. Um, so we mentioned this a little bit in the last pod, um, about Hendon's success and him coming in, in the pit game and then starting to really grow into who he is. And we talked about this, um, versus Purdue two weeks ago when we said, you know, the one thing in Hendon's game that isn't good is that deep ball. And for that to be the bad thing in my eyes, is the best thing to be bad. Um, but, you know, we're still expecting a lot of things out of him. Overall, I wouldn't – I don't think that there will be a drop or a non-live-up to the expectations of next year. I think expectations are very high. Um, but I think – he will do exactly what he did this year, if not better. Uh, I don't think it's really going to decrease. And the reason why is because of Josh Heupel, because of the offense that he runs, because mainly, and you mentioned this on the Purdue podcast, guys are getting wide open, not just kind of open, wide open. Wide receivers are running free free, free, free out there on the field. And that was almost a slight at Mac Jones whenever he was playing or that all the quarterbacks that have come through Alabama is that your wide receivers are wide open. Like, what are you really struggling with? Um, and I think Josh Heupel is the reason why those guys are so wide open, which means they will be wide open next year. Uh, completely expect it. And Hendon can only get better uh, and be able to hit those deep shots so I have high expectations for him, but I believe again that, you know, he can be a 30 touchdown, five interception guy and near 68% completion. And if you're on a winning team, maybe 10 wins or more, that's, that's, those are Heisman numbers. So, you know, the expectation of being like, Hey, Hinden could be a Heisman favorite. Like, yeah, I see it. You know what I mean? I mean, wh what do you think about, Hendon's highs and lows, and if he'll live up. I'll say, first off, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm not BSing. 
I really not only appreciate the, these questions that were asked, I actually think all of them were good questions. It wasn't, I jokingly say, it wasn't like one of these guys that calls in to sports talk and they're like, yeah, well, what do you think about so-and-so? And it's just like an opening question. Like, what do you mean what I think about Matthew Butler? Like, I think he's incredible. Like, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, these are some good, good questions. And so I, I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go a little bit different from you. Hendon's highs and lows, I felt like – I don't feel like – I didn't feel like this year was a really big roller coaster ride with Hendon. I thought he was pretty much kind of what we expect. Like, once we saw him and once we watched him and once we understand who he was, I feel like that was kind of who he was. He's going to make some great plays with his legs. Sometimes he's going to maybe hold on the ball a little too long. He's going to make some really good throws. Other times he's going to airmail it. Like that's who he is. I think he's an above average, good, good college quarterback. I um, personally feel like he will not live up to the expectations of next year. And that is only because not necessarily Tennessee fans in general, but all fans in general get way too excited and blow stuff way out of proportion sometimes. And other people, or excuse me, people in general have a really bad problem of. It's kind of like in society when people move on from something pretty quick, like everyone used to say, like, if you do something bad or something bad happens, don't worry about it because in 30 seconds, someone else is going to do something more dumb or more insane and they'll be talking about it. Well, just like when this season goes by and we kind of forget about the season or maybe we forget about some of the low points and then it goes into spring ball and they have him at, you know, in Birmingham or Destin or wherever hell the meetings are and they see Hendon and he's looking good and he's talking up and everyone's, all the reports are coming from spring practice, how well he looked. And then the spring game, he looks good. And then fall camping. So everything's going to be building. It's all going to be positive. It's all going to be positive. So then going into next year, are people really going to remember exactly what he did? Or are people going to just be have, have built this persona of Hendon Hooker in their mind? And when I think that happens and people are going to say he's going to have a, camp, a Heisman campaign next year, well, sure, there's a lot of people that have Heisman campaigns going into the year. But it's pretty rare that if some of those guys end up in New York. Spencer Rattler was, like, supposed to be a Heisman favorite and guy gets benched and is now transferring schools. Like, it's just – like, I just think the world and the sports world comes at you really fast. And so, for me, I, I think he will be good next year. Um, I do think that he will put in the work to improve. I do think our coaching staff is good and they will have him improve some. But no, I do not think – that he's going to – I don't I don't think he's going to be amazing. I think he's going to be really good, but I don't think he's going to be, like, incredible or amazing. Like, I don't think he's going to have one of those seasons. I, I don't – I don't – I do not think he'll end up in New York as one of the Heisman finalists towards the end of the year. So, okay. not to say that he won't – not to say that he won't have a good year, but it just – I think expectations are really tough because – people can put expectations on us that are sometimes not realistic. I, I understand what you're saying, but my, so my thought process is I feel like we have an understanding of who Hendon is. And like you, you said, and I do, you and I do. I don't know about a bunch of other people. Yeah. That me and you have an understanding of who Hendon is. And you said and at the very beginning that, you know, he's above average quarterback and he, he, 
you know, he's a good quarterback. I mean, he is steady Eddie. Like, that's just who he is. Um, I mean, almost 3,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, three interceptions. He also had five rushing touchdowns. So there's not a lot of mistakes that the guy makes. He's 68% completion. And it's like, say we win 10 games next year and he has 3,500 with 36 touchdowns and three interceptions. And then also has, you know, eight or nine rushing touchdowns. Like those are Heisman numbers. That That's all I'm saying is that like, if he just improves a tiny bit on what he did this season, he could be considered in that talk because I think we are underplaying his performance this year and, and who he was as a quarterback, like Mr. Consistent, very high passer rating, passer efficiency, very, like very great touchdown interception ratio and led this team to some big wins. So I just, I just don't think, I think expectations will be very, very high. And maybe that's why he won't meet them because they'll be so high. I know that's what I was exactly. That's exactly what I was saying. But the other thing is, Stats can play a picture, but you also have to see what you're trust your eyes. So let me ask you this: You're saying out, you're throwing out all these numbers. Well, if he goes out and doesn't have one of his better games against a Florida, or against a Pitt up at Pitt, or you know some of these other like you know, what about South Carolina when we play outside? You know, whatever these games are, who cares if he throws up a bunch of uh, tutties and and yards against some of the lower competition? Because that happens a lot in college football where you get some of these fake over, you know, like you get the Iowas that haven't played anybody and they're seven and zero and they're ranked, you know, top five. And then they finally play someone that's halfway decent and they get blasted. What well, happens with players too? a player rushes for this many yards or has this many receiving yards and, you know, throws for this many yards. And I'm not saying that they're not good players, but they're not what people are making them out to be because when they finally do show up, and that's kind of what people call those Heisman moments. Like you got to have your Heisman moments. Okay, you got to have some big time games against big time opponents and in a big time matchup. And so I'm fine, and I think he will have some good numbers. And I'm not talking poorly of him. I'm just my question or my answer to the question is, I think he's going to be really good for us. I don't think he lives up to expectations because I do not see him being in New York at the end of the year. Yeah. And I think that's what some people are going to expect that he not that he wins it, but he's at least there. And I, I don't I don't see it. Well, I'd be shocked. I won't be shocked, but I might be a little surprised. Okay. Yeah, I, I I'm probably seeing it from my expectations of Hendon and not necessarily what the expectations will be headed into the first game. I just know I just know when I was watching Purdue, like I just talked about two pods ago on the Purdue pod, like I'm watching him miss wide open dudes like I'm missing him make some stuff and then someone texts me and talks about his stats and you know all that I'm like great man like stats are good but like I said instead of two tutties he should have had four you know what I mean so it's like you know even even if you go back and rewatch it like he had Cedric Tillman I don't like the play call but technically he had Cedric Tillman who got held and it was a missed call but he also had Velas Jones 
if he hits both either one of those, like it's the touchdown, the game's over. Like we're not kicking a long field goal. We're not going to overtime. Like, so like I, like I said, just give me 50%. So 50% just hit one of those deep shots, whether Cedric Tillman gets held or not, he was still overthrown. So um, anyways, what, what's our, what's our next question? Uh, oh, next one next? coming from the same guy. Um, wanting to talk about the bad third down defense that we've had this year. Um, I think I, we had talked about it last pod about, you know, there's just certain guys that aren't as good, like with the running quarterbacks we faced and it being third and long and them taking off and we're not making, we're not making that tackle it's kind of in that realm where like, yeah, sometimes this guy's just not good, but other times I felt as if it was play calling that, that there wasn't as much aggression uh, with it um, because one of the most successful like third and fourth down when Kentucky. we needed it was versus Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. And it was the last two plays, and we ran cover zero. I mean, it was man coverage. We blitzed the quarterback, made him uncomfortable, and it worked out great for us. Very, he was, you know, he couldn't uh, complete the pass. It was very a lot of pressure in his face, and I don't know if I really saw that throughout the year. I saw it there, but that was it. Um, so I think it is, and who knows? Maybe Tim Banks wasn't aggressive because he wasn't confident in his guys. Because I think that's part of it, too, as a coach. Like, am I confident in these guys to execute this play, execute this blitz, execute this coverage? If I'm not, then I'm not going to call it. So it's, uh, it's kind of damage control sometimes. Yes. Like, we're, we're all we're all good, uh, you know, couch couch coordinators and, and um, you know, head coaches. But, like, we, we don't know that we, we don't trust a matchup on the outside. So instead of covering calling cover zero, we're going to have – you know, two man where it's, you know, man coverage underneath and two high safeties up top. Now, I do agree that that Kentucky game is very easy to point back to because it worked. I also think that he brought the blitz a lot more than people expected. A lot of stuff that I noticed, he was not walking guys up and showing. And then they came. It was a lot of show, and then they would bail. Like, I, I just feel like I noticed a lot this year. So, say if you and I – or say the two linebackers were Jeremy Banks – and Aaron Beasley in at the time, they would walk Banks up to show that he was coming and he would end up dropping back and then it was a delayed and Beasley would come. And then there were times where they would both show and they'd both drop back. I don't feel like we ever did the Baltimore Ravens, Steelers, sometimes Titans more recently with Dean Peace. I just say it because I'm a Titans fan, I know, but like where you literally show, hey, my guy, we're coming. Like you're, you're manned up. And we're bringing – like, I'm talking everyone's on the line. The, that outside linebacker of, you know, uh, James Harrison back in the day or Ter Terrell Suggs back in the day, like, bro, they're coming. Like, and, and we also got a DB and a nickelback coming. Like, I just feel like we did bring more pressure, but a lot of times it wasn't showing it. So maybe the fans didn't necessarily see it because when the ball snapped, a lot of fans are going to go to the ball. They're not watching who's coming. And the only reason I'm seeing this is because I'm going back and rewatching it and looking for this stuff. So I think Tim actually brought a lot of more blitzes than maybe people just didn't see because you're watching the ball and when Beasley comes on a delayed, bits, a delayed blitz, but he gets picked up, you don't think it's a blitz because the quarterback's still in a, in a, in a, you know, a pretty good pocket. So um, to answer the question, 
whether it's horrible third down defense or not, I think a lot of it is players. I mean, because a lot of our third down was when a quarterback ran and uh, would get kind of, you know, pick up those extra yards, whether it was like a little third and four or was it the third and 12 that Matt Corral would pick up. I still think the defense played well enough to win a lot of these games this year because they did do a good job in the red zone and at critical points in the game. And for me, that matters almost more, you know, who cares if they're a really good defense throughout the game. And then they, you know, as you like to say, they pee down their leg in the fourth quarter when we need them to make a big stop. Like, no, like they kind of bowed their necks up when they had to. So for me, whether we have bad percentages on third down, on, on horrible third down defense, I thought they still played well in short yardage when there was a lot of times this year where we needed a stop and get the ball back to their offense, and they did. There was other times this year where our offense put them in bad positions. A lot of times where they were going in and it was and it was goal line or red zone, and they had to hold a team to a field goal. Yeah, I, and it's also like – the fact that we led the team or led the country in the nation in tackles for loss, it's like all almost a lot. A lot of our third downs were third and long. And I think that almost makes it seem worse that they were third and longs that we were giving up. Um, but overall, I mean, we said it, you know, if not once a hundred times that this is a bend, don't break defense, that they will let up those third downs, but when it comes time they step up. I mean, that, that's literally how the Kentucky game felt, that when it needed to, the defense stepped up. Well, so for me, um, I, I – listen, I'm not a defensive coordinator. I'm not a, you know, coach or whatever. Um, but I do, like, every, you know, people know that they listen. Like, they know I'm more of a defensive guy. Like, I, I like defense more. I care about it more. And I don't care what level of football you're playing, but why – the heck, in my opinion, and I'm not saying don't bring a blitz or play aggressive every now and then, but I'm a very much of a bend but don't break because when you do get in the red zone and, you know, and I'm not talking on the one or two yard line. I mean, that's really tough to stop something. I'm talking like if you let a team in the 30 or the 20, a lot of college football now and a lot of football in general is spacing. And it's a lot of getting guys in space and it's a lot of these, well, what happens when you get down to the 30 or the 25 or the 18? All that stuff shrinks. You don't have as much room. So it's it's easier and it's – what I was going to say is, would you rather have a corner that gives up a 70-yard bomb and everyone else was doing their, their job, but you get beat over the top and it's a 70-yard bomb because you got all this room to run this? Or would you rather give up a 20-yard here, a 30-yard here, a 40-yard here, get some negative plays in there, and you look up and now it's third and eight – on the 16-yard line, and you make a stop. That's what really matters. I don't care that the team, when I go back and look at the box score and they gave up 410 yards, like, I don't care. Because I remember when it was third and eight and they made the stop when they were supposed to and held him to a field goal. So that's that's why for me, like, I'm, I don't – I didn't think, like, I'm not – he could be right. I could go look back and we might have had a terrible third down defense. But I, I, I felt like our defense played pretty pretty well this year not looking at the stats more of a feeling thing more of an eye test thing yes uh last one from stay mad uh unexpected performances bad or good so just guys that i guess going into this season not necessarily expecting um and either way they went do you have a guy in mind i'll go quick on these i'm, I'm not going to elaborate on them because they're pretty self-explanatory guys that 
unexpected performances. I, I Jalen Hyatt, I thought he was going to be good for us this year. He made some plays, but he was not what I expected. I don't think he was what a lot of people expected. Um, I, you know what? I will say Joe Milton was kind of what I expected. I was not surprised by that. As much as I saw from him at practice, I was still so leery. Like, I love the saying, leopards don't change their spots. It's very rare for, for a guy to really improve or change who they are. So Joe Milton was kind of what I expected. Um, I would say the defensive line and the defense as a whole was probably a little bit better than I expected. Um, he, obviously, Theo Jackson is much better than I expected. I thought he'd be fine. Hell, I didn't think he was going to end up being one of the best players on the team and one of our leaders on defense. Same thing with Matthew Butler. Um, Byron Young was about what I expected. Caleb was better than I expected. Jay Blakely was a hell of a lot better than I expected. Um, Tyler Barron was about whatever. Um, Aaron Beasley was better than I expected. Jeremy Banks was about what I expected. Uh, you gonna you gonna mention everyone? Well, calm down. I'm just kind of saying, like, I'm just kind of re. I'm like, I'm not spending a lot of time talking about a bunch of. I'm just kind of saying, like, who I was back. You know, but for me, if I just had to pick one, like. I mean, if I really had to pick one, like I don't – yeah, so Jalen Hyde on offense. And then um, I'll say Cedric Tillman on offense. So one was Jalen Hyde wasn't as good, and Cedric Tillman was a hell of a lot better than I expected. And then defensively, I'll say Matthew and Theo. They I did not expect them to be dogs like they were, and they were dogs. Yeah, I, I, I think those two were the ones on defense where it was just like I did not – and no way was I like, ooh, I wonder what Theo Jackson is going to do this year. And, you know, I, I said it in the middle of the season where I thought like he was an MVP of the defense and, you know, you have loved Matthew Butler all season, but like you didn't necessarily think, oh, he's going to be like that going into it. Um, so I agree with the, both of those. I love that Jalen Hyatt. I really wasn't even thinking about that, but I love your point there with Jalen Hyatt. I mean, um, and Cedric Tillman, I, I would throw um, – I would throw Javante Payton in there where I didn't expect that out of him, like right away. I thought, like I even mentioned when he transferred in, like, oh, you're going to be a great number three. Like, cool. Um, and, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I expected the play out of Hendon that, that happened this year. I, I, that, I didn't see that necessarily happen. I didn't really see him as anything. And he was here in the spring. And we still didn't see it out of him. So I think those were very unexpected on, on that side of the ball. But um, all right, let's jump into the next person. Uh, Zach, Zach Edens uh, asks, uh, would love to hear who y'all's unsung hero of the team was. We all know Hooker and Theo and Alante were amazing. But who doesn't get enough credit for how good of a season they had? I'm going with Jerome Carvin. He played insanely well for us this season. That's what Zach says. Zach, I agree with you. I, I agree with Jerome Carvin. Um, when I saw him in training camp, I told you, and I said in the pod, that was our best offensive lineman, and he turned out to be that. Um, you know, I wouldn't say he – it was unexpected, but I would say he's unsung because he's an offensive lineman. I mean, that's just how it is with offensive linemen. Um, you don't necessarily talk about him as much. 
And I think, I think he was an unsung hero. I would also say Matthew Butler, because I think we were the only podcast or Tennessee anything that was talking about how great Matthew Butler was and especially you and, and the difference that he was making the pressure he was getting in the backfield. And like, I guess it's just another lineman thing where people just don't necessarily pay attention to that. Um, and then last one for me, and I, I had just said him, but Javante Payton, like, I, I think he's not necessarily seen as a big a deal as Cedric Tillman, like Cedric Tillman's kind of taken over, but right there in the middle of the season, I mean, Javante went four or five games to the touchdown and he was number one target for Hendon and really like helped the team um, during the season. So even though Tillman was seen as like, oh, this is, this is a beast. Like this guy is insane. It's like, Hey, don't forget, don't forget about Javante and, and how he got us here and like his performances, you know, versus Florida, Missouri, South Carolina, like, he was balling out. Yeah, yeah. My unsung hero is Josh Heupel. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, um, I, I mean, for me, it's it's Matthew Butler. I, I will always think back to after all those guys transferring and Matthew stepping up to there, to that, that podium and, and, and commanding the team in a way. And, I mean, command, like he – he was telling media, he's like, if you don't want to be here, see ya. These guys here, we're going to work hard. We're going to bust our butt. And I remember being like, yeah, guy, sweet, my dude. Like, that always sounds good. But, like, are you even going to be good this year? Like, are you just going to be a rotational guy? And I was dead wrong. And he came out and he balled. And I felt like very early on, like that pit game, I just start seeing his hands and I start seeing his pressure and I start seeing his activity. And I'm like, dude, this, and he never, every week, every week he did it. So for me, it's, it's, it's definitely Matthew Butler. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a fanboy of his and I'm going to see, you know, what happens and who knows if he ends up doing anything in the NFL, but I'll be, I'll be watching him. And um, I'm definitely will always, he'll always be, you know, one of the guys that I was, I really enjoyed while he was at UT. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are quite a few of those guys come through where you don't really appreciate it then um, or pay attention to them then. But then, you're, you know, you think back and you're like, dang, I really like the way that guy played. Like, I, I always appreciated his effort and, and his ability on the field. So I think yeah. he definitely fits in that category. Um, OK, last question before we jump into the season uh, from Aaron Heiss. Uh, how can the drop-back passing game improve? Uh, too many times the plays seemed dialed up, uh, quote-unquote, and not reading the defense or going through progressions. Um, the way I look at this and the way I look at this question, I remember the offense that I ran at Tennessee with Josh Dobbs. I remember the kind of plays that we had and how we took advantage of defenses. And it wasn't the drop back passing game. It was a play action pass. It was a read option with a screen on it. It was a read option counter with a tight end headed down the seam. 
So my thing is, I don't necessarily want to even concentrate on the drop back passing game. I would rather put those wrinkles that I just said into it. And I don't think there was enough of that. I don't think there was the uh, rollout, um, you know, using a motion, getting a guy open near the goal line where we did that all the time when I was there. So it gave, you know, a play action um, with a running back and then Josh rolls out to his right or to his left, has the ability to run it if he wants, but then also has two guys, you know, in the one guy in the flats, one guy headed to the corner. So it's just a lot of options on the play. I saw that that offense opened my mind to how options on the play can really help you have success where Josh could make the decision of handing it off, keeping it himself, passing it upfield or passing it, you know, short. And it's just like, Oh, we have multiple options in this offense with Hypel, And I love Hypel. There are literal play designs where there's one option and that is it. So I think it's just getting to the point where Hendon is comfortable enough to have multiple options and make the right decision. As soon as Josh Heupel has that trust in Hendon, then I feel he will integrate those kinds of plays. Um, And in turn, those kinds of plays can help with the deep ball and with the drop back pass and with like the third and longs when you have to just do like a six man protection and drop back and pass. And there's not like a play action to it. Um, but I think Hendon knows, hey, the, the part of my game that's weak is the deep ball and, and I need to work on it. So I, I think just getting reps at it is what's going to make him a better deep thrower. Yeah, I think it's a, I, I think it's a really good question and it's a good uh, catch by this individual to, to notice these things. But for me, like I almost think drawback football is – in a way kind of going by the wayside, especially in college. I mean, in the NFL, there's, I swear to you, I still feel like there's some guys in the NFL, they're getting one or two reads and that's it. I mean, I'm a big, I'm not going to say I'm a huge Ryan Tannehill fan, but I find myself defending him a lot because a lot of people will come at me and say, he's not that good. You know, he's a game manager. You know, he's only good because of Derrick Henry and now A.J. Brown and this stuff. And I'm like, no, you guys are wrong. Like, I've watched every snap of his since he took over, which means I watched every snap of Marcus Mariota. There's a huge difference between not good quarterback play, average quarterback play, and above average quarterback. I'm not going to say that Ryan Tannehill can win you a game and put a team on his back. I've never said that. But the guy – makes the throws and makes the plays when they need to be made. And I bring him up to say, I still don't know how much of the time they're making him really drop back and read a bunch. Like it's very rare that a Peyton Manning, a Tom Brady, a Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers are dropping back and looking at two or three or maybe four options and dicing you up. Like, I really feel like – I mean, I sit here and think about Cliff Kingsbury and, and Kyler Murray. Like, that stuff and, like, even with Josh Allen at Buffalo. And I just feel like these – and it's smart. It's smart football. Like, you know what I mean? Like, instead of having three or four options on a play, why don't you just make sure you got two options on a play that you know one's going to be there? It's kind of like 
I don't want to say options, but you're kind of like picking, you're, 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 you're making one guy pick and he's going to pick wrong. Kind of like a read option compared yeah. to, compared to, all right, well, we're going to run these four routes and whatever um, defense you get, then you know, who's open Four four quarters and, instead of a hundred pennies. Exactly. And so it's like, there's just, um, I don't, I don't think there's really a need for drop back passing necessarily for Hendon, except for in times of where I don't, like I said, I don't want to be a hypocrite where I was mad in the Purdue game where it's third and two. And we literally run Princeton fan out as a decoy to try to hold the corners. And then they run two deep shots right next to each other on the side. And it's like, well, that's his only options. Like, I don't love that, but I'm like you, like, give me a few more options where it's, Hendon's not dropping back and saying, oh, they're in cover three. I can't take that. So I got to come back to my, you know, underneath or my guy that's supposed to be running a drag, but since it's zone, he turns and hooks up. Like, like I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't need him to have to be decisive. That just like, okay, I'm looking there. That corner went back. So it's up, you know, or the corner came up. So it's deep. You know what I mean? So it's, it's more like you said, it's more, they're very similar. They're, they're, it's similar to drop back and read a de- defense and know that you have three or four options compared to drop back and read one person and know you have one or two options. It's very similar. It's kind of like in the same ballpark or same family, but I don't, I don't, I don't need him to drop back and have to decipher between three or four guys. Like Josh Heupel's really good at what he does. Like just make sure I just want Heupel to have options compared to we're dropping back and just letting him make a decision. Yeah, I, and I don't like think, I don't, with, I don't think play, there's play with what you have. Yeah, like, I just don't think there's many people that even do that anymore. I don't even know how many people in college do that. Honestly, like maybe Bryce Young right now and maybe Stetson Bennett and maybe – and I can just say those because I've watched them recently. Like I think they maybe have some drop-back options. But yeah, I think I team, think uh, Mike Leach probably just leans into that. I mean, they throw yeah. it like 50 to 60 times a game, so. Right, right. So, but, yeah, I don't – I don't. I just need Hendon to hit the, hit the guys that are open. And I need Heifel to make sure he's got options for me on third downs and then also like third and fourth down manageable, like short yardage. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I completely agree with that. Um, It's just, it's just Hendon is not a drop back quarterback. Not many people. That's not how I would define him. Yeah. So I, I want him to be better at other things. And, and um, people don't need to take that the wrong way. We're not saying he's not a throw – like he's not a good thrower of the football. We're saying he's not a drop-back quarterback. doesn't mean he can't throw well or he's not a pocket passer. We're talking about literally dropping back and deciphering a defense and where's your two, one, two, and three, and four options. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, again, appreciate you guys for answering that tweet and giving us some questions to, to dive into. We love the interaction, um, but let's jump into the second half of the season. And boy, we are starting with a doozy in Ole Miss. Um, Reed, do you want to take this one first? Yeah, I think for me, uh, going into the, the the first half of the – or excuse me, the first game of the second half, like I feel like this was unfortunately like our Super Bowl. Um, for me personally, my Super Bowl was was Kentucky. Um, but I mean, I hate Ole Miss, but I, I knew that they were a better team, um, or I felt like they were a better team. And uh, so for me, I just wanted to make sure we beat Kentucky, especially if we didn't get Ole Miss game. But I don't have a ton to say about this game 
even though it was the wildest and craziest thing. Like, this game was what I expected because of what I've seen when we played Florida, when we played Pitt. You know, like, this team does have a little bit more talent. They got the better quarterback. Um, it was an amazing atmosphere. I hate that what happened kind of overshadowed. The one thing that I did hate about this game was that I was – usually, like I said on the other podcast, I love football. You can I can watch football all day. But I was getting annoyed as hell being in, in, in Neyland for five and a half hours. It was just not enjoyable. And so, for me, I love the fight of the team. I thought they stepped up and made plays when they needed to to keep it close. Um you know, and, and then there was a bunch of nonsense. So really, I surprisingly, I don't have a ton to say to say about Ole Miss. Like, you know, th- I will say that this one was when we lost. Like, I was pretty mad, but I, I never expected us really to win that game. Like, if we had won that game, I would have been, like, ecstatic because I'd been like, holy crap, I wasn't expecting that. Yes. I I, I think I was in that same boat. I, I, I mean, we – they were favored. Um it was uh, it was like if we win this game, this will be absolutely massive for Coach Heupel, um, and be one of those, as people like to say, signature wins. Um, so it just sucked the way that we lost. Um, this was one of those games that, and we said in the first the first half we felt good after a loss. This is one of those games I did not feel good after this loss. I agree. This is one that it was right there for us. We could have had it at any moment. Um, And this was the also the show of frustration that UT fans have had over the past 15 years in in the football program. This was – the accumulation of all that. This was the eruption um, of a volcano staying dormant for a long time. And it was just to say, we're tired of this. Like we're tired of getting treated horribly. Um, We're by the refs, by anybody. We're we're tired of losing. We're tired of Lane Kiffin, uh, his narrative, um, you know, I think Tennessee fans would be happier if he just never coached another day in his life. Um, so I think this game showed that. Uh, this was the first loss that actually hurt of the season. Um, and this, like, I just hate the fact that, that Lane Kiffin – and I don't necessarily – I've said it before that he's a good coach, and I don't want to say he's bad. But I'm not saying this Ole Miss team is great. Like, I know they won 10 games, and they went to New York Six Bowl, and I think some of it is just, like, fluff. Because I think Hugh Freeze's Ole Miss teams would have killed this team, like, 10 times out of 10. And some of those – I mean – one of his teams that beat Alabama, they went nine and three, nine and four after a loss in the bowl. Like they didn't even win as many games. And I think they would crush this Lane Kiffin team. So I just, I, I'm fed up 
with Kiffin and Ole Miss and all that BS. And I, you know, I would be happy if I never saw his face again. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. This one, I was more mad, obviously, because we lost, but I was just more mad because of everything that was around it. And it was just really dumb and stupid. So. Yeah. And then also um, solidified that Milton is not it. (laughs) I wasn't even going to bring it up. I just, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean. I just don't even really think about Joe Milton anymore. Like it just, you know, whatever. I know. I know. Um, Okay. So big rivalry next game, Alabama. So Lost to Alabama. They end up being number one team in the nation. Uh, end up in the college, you know, national championship. Um, and this is Alabama. So going into this game, it was seen almost like the Florida game going into it. Like, hey, I just want to smack them in the mouth. I just want to show that we're not to be pushed around. I just want to be competitive a little bit. And your point that you said multiple times, be in this game in the fourth quarter, and that's what happened. So back to what we said about the other losses, I felt good after this loss. And it felt as if it wasn't a horrible game. It wasn't like overall, like we sucked the entire game. It really did feel like the interception – that Hendon threw and they took it down to like the one or the two, and then they ended up scoring that sealed the game. One play really sealed the game because they were already up a touchdown. Then they score another one. Now they're up 14 and we're playing catch up. Like that feels so much better than if it's just like us versus South Carolina or us versus Missouri. Like if we're on the receiving end of that. So I was overall very happy with this game and this, you know, this was a message I felt like to the rest of the SEC that like Tennessee isn't just an easy win. Like we just went to the wire with Ole Miss. We were just in the fourth quarter with Alabama. We're not the same Tennessee that you've seen in recent history. Yeah, um, I just kind of echo that. I will always remember sitting outside on the porch watching the game, and when Cedric Tillman caught that ball, and it's just like, listen here, guys, like we don't we don't quit. Like this team isn't going to quit. Uh, I love that we made plays. Javante Payton hitting them. On the, you know they hit Javante Payton on the deep shot. Okie dokes getting the end zone. You know we we had a great special teams play to kind of get us jump started about stuff like we, we, we fought them, man. We, we just don't have the dogs. We don't have the horsepower yet and that's okay. But I didn't expect anything else. And like, you know, so I was, I was fine with, with, with it, you know, I hate Bama. Like I hate losing to them, but I'm not going to sit here and get all worked up thinking that we really should have ever had a chance to win the game. So. Yeah, exactly. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Yeah. We, we need um, about, 25 to 30 more five stars to even line up with the amount of guys they have. So yeah, the, the um, powerhouse of good talent they have is kind of ridiculous. Um, All right. Moving into now looking back on it, the game of the year, 
and it's Kentucky. Um, Kentucky being as highly rated as they were going into this game. And then, you know, at 18. And then their confidence was so nice to feel because this I was nervous heading into this game for sure because Kentucky was doing so well in the season but watching games that they played in and watching teams that they played against I saw that there was an opportunity for us I saw that we have a chance to beat them it's not like it's not like they're Alabama. It's not like they're Georgia. It's not like they're Florida. They're Kentucky. We beat them all the time. It's one of those teams that we just have their number. Like it just is. So this, and, and it's so funny looking back because we never talked about Kentucky as one of our games of the year. We didn't really think about it. And it ended up being one of the most important um, and you know, the a few points is the end of half, the just brilliance of three plays in like 20 seconds, and we kicked a field goal, and that ended up being the difference in the game. Like that helping me and the way I feel about Josh Heupel, like just giving me more and more confidence in him. And then the bend don't break defense that we talked about earlier, and that's how we defined it. That is how that is how the game ended. It was a bend don't break. You know, we were giving up a lot of a lot of points, a lot of third downs, and then it got down to crunch time. It started long and fourth and long. We ran zero coverage, manned it up, and we stopped them. So it wasn't even an offensive score that won us the game, which is what we saw our team as, just an offensive team. It was a defensive stop that won us the game. So that was great, great, great to see um, out of this team. And I, I, I'm glad that we were able to just – reiterate like i said before we're still tennessee like we're not gonna let you win kentucky you realize that right so this 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 is one it was man one of my favorite games in in a long time you know i'll i'll always remember this game for multiple reasons i mean it was the weekend that i was watching it at the bar slash on my phone slash in the you know club locker room because we're at uh, <laughs> we're at Ridgeway Country Club in Memphis for my uh, Lee and Liz's and Bailey and Austin's double wedding and at the reception so I'm always going to remember that and there's just such a it was it's one of those fun things like you're at the wedding you're drinking you're eating you're hanging out but then you get to go watch a little bit of the game and then you know it just adds you know adds to a special night that they were able to pull it out and win and I always you know I remember getting in the car and hearing Javante Payton it's like wait what he just house called it first play. And then like, I always will remember the Alante Taylor play. And I feel like that play for Alante was huge because in my opinion, Alante was a guy who came in with some, with some pretty decent hype. And it was kind of dope to be like, all right, we got Bryce Thompson, we got Alante Taylor. They're going to be both good corners, both play here a while both solidify it. And I just thought Alante had some like up and down times. And I feel like if he doesn't make that play against Kentucky, like I at least look at his career different. Like I look at him as just being a fighter and competitor, not, not very good. Like meaning like, I just think he's like, he's pretty average. Like he got burnt 
you know, which happens to everybody. But, like, I would have said that he was very middle of the road, but that play kind of for him will be a solidifier for 20 years down the road. You know, if he comes back to an alumni event and he's at Calhoun's and fans go up and see him, like, they're always going to be like, hey, I, I remember your pick against Kentucky. Like, so for him personally, I think it was huge. And um, I just think that game, my, you know, my buddy Jack, like, he really is the one that said it a couple of years ago to me. And now you always say, like, it doesn't matter how good Kentucky is. We just always find a way to beat them and to be their nemesis. Not that they're not going to sometimes beat us. I mean, they, they over the past five, six, seven years, they've definitely found ways to beat us and have been the better team. But, like, when we're looking at it as a whole, like, they're ranked. They're supposed to be having the best seasons that they've had in their history. And we're not very good, and they still can't beat us. And, like, a couple years ago when Fruit was here, they come in and they're, like, top 12, top 13, and we we handle them with freaking JG at quarterback. So, you know, or then when we had the goal line stand. And, you know, so it's just, like, it's just amazing feeling, like, doesn't matter how good you guys are. And that's how I felt going into this game. I was a little bit nervous because I was like, dang, I hate Kentucky. But I was like, dude, it's Kentucky. Like, no matter how good they actually are, like we'll, we'll still find a way, and that's ended up what we have what happened. So easily my favorite game of the year. Yeah, I think I think if we went back and did like what you know the most important games of the year, like that's gonna be number one. Uh, because it was that game that there's like a bottom, a middle, and an upper tier of the SEC, and that was us passing the middle. You know what I mean? Like. Beating South Carolina and Missouri, that's the bottom of the SEC. Bandy's down there. But, like, beating Kentucky, like, got us up past them um, and put us, you know, out of the 14 teams, number seven or six. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Um, great, great win. Uh, okay, then uh, we go into Georgia. So... <sighs> Georgia is the best defense in the country for a reason. Um, they have five star five stars all over the freaking field. But until they played Alabama in the SC championship, um, we had we scored the most points on them. I mean, excluding their game versus Alabama, we scored the most points on Michigan, didn't even score as many points. Uh, 17 total from us. We're the only team to score a touchdown on the first drive versus them. No other team this year has done that. Um, so I, this is one of those games you expect to lose, um, hoping that maybe you can smack in the mouth, which I think we did. And I think it was just that defense, man. I mean, they just absolutely crushed our running game. We couldn't get anything going on the ground. Um, you know, we ended up having two turnovers. So it, it's it, it's one of those games that doesn't necessarily define you. There are some things you can take from it that are positive, like I just said. Um, but it shows you where you are at that moment and lets you know, okay, these are the big boys of the SEC, and this is what it's going to be like. Um so I, I it's a, you know it's a great learning um, environment. It is a great game to learn from. 
So uh, it, that's pretty much all I can say because when you get beat by you know forty-one to seventeen, when you get beat like that, like there's not there's not much that you can say about that game. It's not like the other ones where it was one play away from being different. Um, it it is it's a it's a route. So what, what I mean, what can you say? Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, so going into this game, I the game ended up being what I expected. But unfortunately, I watched that first drive and I'm like, you know, you get, you know, if you text somebody, the little eyes that are kind of looking like, whoa, hold up here. And so all of a sudden went through the roof. Yeah. And so like, and listen, the hopes never got for me like, oh, my God, we have a chance to win. My hopes were like, well, we got a chance to make them uncomfortable and maybe make this a game for a little bit. But we go down and score, and my buddies are calling me, and they're like, let's fucking go. We're going to take it to them. We're going to punch them in the mouth. Like, let's go. Like, that's how we do. And then it's like I'm starting to get fired up. And then it was the slow death. And so it was like, Reed, you shouldn't have let yourself get your hopes up. But you did, and that's okay. But this game was what I expected and what I thought it was. So that's all I have to say on it. Like, kudos that we drove down and scored on them, dialed them up. Shows that hides the man, even when he's way under talent, you know, when he's way under gun. I mean, he's going into that game with a pistol and and Kirby Smart's over there with a tank, you know, so it's like, you know, so. That but, is a uh, great analogy, pistol versus yeah. a tank. Yeah, so we got, we got like, that first drive was like us sneaking up and like sticking our little pistol through like one of the little slots and like damaging, you know, like getting a little wounded guy in the side. And then they were like, yeah, yeah. And then they just like. Like just take it out. <laughs> That's so. great. Uh, uh, all right, going to South Alabama. Uh, the best part about this game is that we became bowl eligible, which, like I said before, I did not expect to happen. I thought we'd win five, if that. So another sixty-point game, uh, taking care of the teams we need to take care of. Um, and I forgot about this, but we had two safeties. Like, I don't think, I mean, has that ever happened before in a game? Like, I don't think that's a very common occurrence. Like that has to be very rare. So, um, but it's, it's the same as Tennessee tech. It's the same as Bowling green, take care of those games that you're supposed to win. Now, before the year started, I did say this was my most important game. And my reasoning behind it was to get bowl eligibility that it was an important game. And that's what happened. So it's, I still feel like it was a more important game than Bowling Green or Tennessee Tech or Vandy. Uh, so it's not the top. It's not the most important game, but I think it's in the upper upper half. Let's say that. All, all I'll ever remember about this game was the easiest money I've made in bet in, in gambling in a long time because I remember seeing the uh, the spread and it was like it was some stupid. I swear it was like twenty eight or like thirty. And I said, "What the f?" I said, "Usually I would think a Tennessee team would let a team like this hang around." I said, "But I've seen different this year. I I think Heupel's different." I said, "I think we're going to go out and beat them." you know, 49 to seven or, or, or 52 to seven or whatever. And so all I will be 
remember is like, it's just the easiest bet because we got a coach that coaches each week for its importance and to handle business and not to underestimate people. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Next is Vanderbilt. Um, almost another like, hey, just take care of business game. Uh, you know, I mean, Vandy had two wins at that point. Uh, one was versus UConn, the other worst team in the nation. So <laughs> this this was very much take imagine, care of business. Can you, ima- can you imagine someone like you having to be a fan and going to watch UConn versus Vandy? Like, I just would never. Oh, my God. It would be horrible. I think I honestly think if someone was like, Reed, here is $250 cash, but you have to sit through the entire game. I don't think I would do it. It, like if I had to be there, I think I think my number for that would probably be probably seven fifty. If someone said here's seven hundred fifty dollars, go watch the game. I would probably do it. You have to be there if, for if three they, and a half hours and watch this game. Yeah, yeah. Now if they said you can't be on your phone, like you literally have to just sit there and like watch the game, I'm probably thinking a thousand to twelve hundred. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because knowing me, if they said I could have a phone, like I would maybe just try to like, you know, there's plenty of seats. So I just try to lay down and like try to sleep. But yeah, I mean, Vandy's Vandy. I'm happy we won. I'm happy we handled business, you know. So anyways, what's your season recap? How do you feel? Um, season recap, I feel great. Like I said, uh, I expected, you know, five and seven. We went seven and five on the season. Ended up losing the bowl game to reasons out of our hands, I will say. Um, but I, I I feel absolutely amazing about the season. I feel so confident headed to next year. Uh, I feel I feel that this team is above average, is a good team, and they have a chip on their shoulder because of this loss to Purdue. And that makes them dangerous. The fact that, you know, the three games we lost, uh, a Pitt, Ole Miss, and Purdue was an average of five points. An average of five points. One score. Say we flip those and we go, you know, 10 and three. Like, that's a completely different season. And it was so close. Sky's the limit. Only way is up. So I just – I feel like we can very much improve. You know, I think – I think we're, you know, losing guys that that are – that were very helpful to us and Theo and, and, and Matthew Butler and Alante and uh, Valus. Um, but we're also keeping guys that are going to be great. Uh, four out of the five starting offensive linemen, Hendon, Cedric Tillman – um pray flowers like we're still going to be a good team and still going to be able to compete with these and if certain breaks just go our way then we can be pretty successful and we can possibly get to a nine win season and maybe a 10 win with a bowl game. Like we can get to that point where we have another 10 win season because it has literally been since 2007 um, that we've had one. So I, I, I feel like that is a possibility headed to next year. 
Um, so I, I'm ecstatic. I, I was surprised with seven and five. You know, if you asked August Kyler, he wouldn't have told you that. So very surprised with it and very happy in the direction we're headed. For me, you know how much I love Heupel and you know how much I enjoyed this team and these players, but I'm going to say it was a very good year, but I will not say amazing or great. I think it was, you know what, you know what, you know what, I will say it was a, you know what, I'll, I'll say this. I will say it was a great year because of what happened last year, what happened in the off season and what I saw at spring practice and, and fall camp, but I will not say it's an incredible or amazing. So for me, it would be the levels would be good, you know, great, and then incredible or amazing. For me to have it to be an incredible or amazing season, you beat Pitt and you beat Ole Miss. Okay. And I'm not gonna say beat Purdue because if you beat Pitt and Ole Miss, you're not playing Purdue. You're not, you're not playing the Music City Bowl. So for me, if he somehow won both of those games or say we lost the pit the way we did, but then we came back and beat Ole Miss, then I, then I would say it was an amazing season. I'll, I'll say it was great, but not amazing or incredible. And um, I couldn't be more excited with where we're going. I can never remember in my life going into a Saturday and being confident in a team. I'm, I'm usually always that nervous optimism with, with Tennessee. Like, I'm kind of like, I'm, well, no, no. Usually I'm nervous, and sometimes I'm like, yeah, we're, we're, this isn't going to go well. And other times I'm like, no, we'll, we'll be okay. But I've never really until this year gone into a game and be like, no, like I'm very confident in us. Like I'm at least confident in who, what team is going to show up, that we're going to show up, play hard, be good offensively, make plays offensively, bow our necks on defense. Like So it was a different confidence I had this year, like kind of like a confidence I have with the Titans. Like I know when we got Braves – and we got a bunch of those dogs on on offense and defense. Like, we might lose the game, but, like, it, it, you know, we're going to have a, a really, really good chance. And so, great season, not amazing, just because, like I said, oh, Pitt and Ole Miss, if you win those games, and it's an amazing and incredible. But going into next year, I'm really excited. I still, even though I love Coach Hype, I'm still juries slightly out on him for 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 – from, in my opinion, on some people, because I think some people still want to get back to competing for SEC championships, competing for national championships. Is he ever going to get us there consistently? Bro, I don't know, and that's not a knock on him. I think it's just – I don't. I just think there's literally like three or four coaches that can do that. Like, I think, you know, um, I think obviously, obviously Nick Saban, um, Ryan Day just because he's at Ohio State, uh, Dabo Swinney because he's at Clemson and he's done it. And then I will give Brian uh, give Brian Kelly a chance because he's a good coach, but also because he's at old at LSU and LSU is a different breed. Now those are the only three or four people I'm saying. You notice I didn't say Jim Harbaugh or or yeah Jim Harbaugh because I don't ever see Michigan really ever competing consistently. Like I'll be surprised if they beat Ohio State again. So like it's not a knock on hype. I'm just saying, like, in college football right now, there's literally probably three or four teams that are going to have a chance every year. Other than that, like, enjoy your one-offs when you have a chance. Like, enjoy your one-offs when you get there because it's probably going to be another three or four years until it happens. And that's until Nick Saban retires and 
you know, whatever else happens. And, and, and same thing with Georgia. Like, I don't think Kirby's that good of a coach, but he's done well enough to get enough talent that he has since he's been at Georgia. I mean, he's played in SEC championships, you know, been to the Natties, been to college playoffs. So, like, not a knock on hype. I just think it's still a long road to go to get where some people want to get, except for me. Like, at some point, I will be happy because I'm going to try to be realistic. Like, bro, if we're winning nine and ten games a year, and say say we fast forward four or five years, and in five years from now, we're looking at year five of Josh Heupel, and he has two to three ten-win seasons, and some people are starting to ruffle their feathers and say, hey, he's not going to get us there. Like, we, you really got to take a look at the landscape of college football and be like, well, is anyone really ever going to get us there until Saban's gone or until whoever else and kind of things maybe change a little bit? And that's why I'm like, Heupel's great for me because I do trust him and think he's a good coach. I just don't want people to think that in three years we should be in the SEC championship game because I don't, I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, just enjoy, enjoy the goodness and don't let the fact that we're probably not going to be the late, the 90s, late 90s and early 2000s like we, like we used to be. I'm not saying we don't have a chance. I'm just saying, I, like, don't hold that to be the expectation. Like, enjoy, enjoy beating Florida you know, and enjoy hopefully upsetting Alabama or competing with Georgia, but don't make it to where we have to beat those teams every year or you're canning this guy. You know what I mean? Like, so don't, don't yeah, let I, it get out of hand. I agree with what you're saying. And it's like, um, like people want the dynasty, like people want a lot of championships, but like you look back over time, there really haven't been that many dynasties in college football. There's all, I mean, there's, more in NFL, but not college football. There's not dynasties like that. And then and, – And don't be – and listen, and, and just be happy that we had a run at, at Tennessee. Tennessee had a great run. Tennessee had a great run like a Notre Dame run or a USC run or a Bama run or a Florida run, you know, a Clemson run of now. Like, we had that. So, like, we can at least say we had it, you know. Nebraska can at least say they have it doesn't make it fun that we might not ever see it again in our lifetime, but at least it happened. And, but don't let us fire a good coach because we think there's a great one out there. Because I do think that if you give hype enough time, I think he can, if, if some things change. And the only other thing I got to wait and see is if I know he can do a game day. I just got to see if he can get guys in here. I mean, yeah. and that's really, that's the difference. Yeah. I mean, that's what you need to get to that next level. And I, I, you know, what Saban has done since he's got there has never been done before. Like college football has been being played for 150 years and no one's ever done what he's done. So you cannot compare your team to his. Like he is the greatest coach in college football history. You cannot compare your team to his. Um, I would be happy with getting to a couple SEC championships, maybe winning one, um, uh, you know, winning 10 games in a season. Like I would be very much happy with that. You know, our run that you just talked about, we won one national championship. So like, and everyone was happy back then and everyone wants it to be back to that. We only won one. So well, say – Hey, that's why I always say that Fat Phil's overrated. But, hey, well, that's a topic for another day. Yeah, exactly. So, say Heupel's here for 15 years and he wins one. 
It'd be incredible. It'd be incredible. Incredible, incredible that he build wins. Build a statue one. of him. Build but it's, it's a very hard thing to do. I think it depends on uh, Nick Saban, uh, you know, retiring uh, or, or leaving or just dying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it literally depends on that. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it depends on Kirby at all because uh, we've talked about it before. You can't necessarily trust him to be a good coach. He's got great – he's a great recruiter. But so, I, I mean – I'd be very happy if we made it to four, maybe five SEC championship games, won two of them over the next 15 years. Very happy. I would love that. And who cares if we have a random season where we go seven and five? And if people want to get mad at you and say, wow, 15 years and you're only expecting that, we'll just look back at the past 15 years. So Exactly. All right, I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna finish this. I'm gonna read this quick. I just think these are some cool little little season stats. So this year, 2021 points per game, 39-31. I mean, th- yeah, 30. So basically, 40 points, 39 points a game. Last year, bro, 21. That's crazy. We were putting up 21 in like five minutes of games sometimes in these first quarters, like we were talking about with Missouri and Kentucky. Points against almost, this year. I mean, that's almost double. Right. Exactly. Points against, we were giving up 29 points a game. And you know what? Like, <laughs> it sounds crazy, but the fact that we were keeping it under 30 in this year, in this it, this time of college football, like, that's kind of nice. <laughs> like, it's not, listen, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want that. Like, I want it to be lower, but, you know, whatever. Like, you know, and then last year we were giving up 30 points a game. So we actually had some improvement after losing all those guys and losing a defensive-minded coach. Like, we improved it slightly. Um, yards this year per game, 511 yards a game this year compared to 215. I oh. mean, that's more, than, that's more than double. Yeah. Okay. Now, the yards that our, our defense was giving up, 378. Once again, it's crazy to say this, Kyler, but if you tell me we're playing a game and the other team's going to score 29 points and, and have 378 yards of offense, I, I – I think we win that game. Yeah. So, so, and then uh, we were giving, and then uh, we were giving up last year, 301 yards. Okay. Our total, this, this a little bit is something that I think is a very cool stat because going into the year, we tried to pe- preach to these people like, Hey, he's not just going to throw it all over the field. Like he, he very much will be balanced and run the ball. So our rushing yards for this year, as a team, we're 3,139. Our stats for passing this year was 3,342. Wow. So that is that is really, really balanced. And obviously, if you want to compare that to last year, oh, last year we only had 1,600 yards rushing as a team. That's insane. Yeah. I yeah. did not think it was that bad. Derek, Derek Henry does that in, in one year. Our passing, our passing last year was only 2,000 yards. Holy shit. Yeah, okay. Now we have uh, rushing yards per game this year, 217. And this is the other one that's kind of in line with what I just read. Our passing – this is the only one that really kind of surprised me. Our passing per game this year was only 257. I thought we'd been about – I thought we'd have been like 270, 280, close to 300. But once again, it shows that he runs a very balanced offense. Um, I did not write those numbers down for last year. Don't care. Um, once again, 
listen to this, our season attempt for rushing yards. So how many times we attempted rushing this year was 577 times. Now you got to think that's because of running back and quarterback in the, in the times we passed this year was only 376 was our attempts, not complete. That's just our attempts. So once again, like these are some pretty kind of like interesting numbers. Like I'm assuming you would have thought that we probably passed it 500 times and maybe only rushed it 370, but those, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So those those numbers are flipped. Now, penalties actually weren't as bad as I thought. Uh, 60 yards, 60 yards a game in penalties. That's not great, but that's a hell of a lot better than some of those when we were having in the 100 and 120, 150 yards. Um, last year, we were about right at the exact same, 59.92. So, you know, not much difference there. And, uh, and honestly, if you look at it, we should have had more penalties this year than last year because you had more plays. You had you had more plays, yes, but you had experienced older guys on last year's team, and this year's team was all new, all all new guys. Only a few had experience, and Good that's point. where you run into it. new starters, new guys on the team. That makes it even easier to have those kind of penalties. So it's actually like pretty great that it stayed all right yeah no, good point good point okay here's a good one time of possession i'll let you guess just for fun so what do you think our time of possession per game was i so the south carolina game and the missouri game is making me think it was under half and i want to say like 28 our, our minutes per game that we possessed, it was 24. Not a bad guess. So 24, not, that's even – Yeah, not, wow. not – not, you were close. Not a bad guess. And the opposing team had it for 35, 35 minutes a game. So, so 24 per game, like, that's, that's not I'm, – I'm fine with that for how we rush our offense. And, like, what do I care about time of possession in the Missouri game, in the South Carolina game? Like – I don't give a dang. Like, it doesn't matter. We're blasting them. So, you know, 24 is probably not bad. Like, that's not, you know, not horrendous. Now, these are the last little bit of stats. So, our third down conversion and our fourth down conversion, do you want to take a guess on those? Uh, third down all year, we were over 50%. So, I want to say maybe like 55 and or maybe near 50. And then fourth down – I would guess maybe like 30% on fourth down. So I think you got these backwards. So our third down conversion was 44.69. So a little bit lower than you thought, but our fourth down was right at 50%. It was 48.39. Wow. So to be 48% on fourth down, like that's, that's pretty nice. Like if we're going for it twice, we're probably gonna get one of them. So that that's pretty strong. I mean that, um, that 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 that's kind of that's the kind of stuff that has never been seen in college football. That like what? that never happened before. Everyone always punted. You never went for it on fourth down because you were barely ever going to make it. And this guy's fifty percent. Well, and Kyler, the other thing you got to keep in mind of how many of those fourth downs were when the game was already in the balance and you just went for it and it was fourth and sixteen. Like you knew you weren't going to get it, but you're already losing to Georgia or or Alabama or whoever. Or maybe it's a closer game towards the end and you don't have any time out and you need to go for one. Like, so you don't really remember. Like, so that I thought that stat's pretty strong. I would like to see third down conversion. 
come up some. And that's all because of I felt like we got in a lot of manageable third downs this year. So I'd like to see that number come up a little bit closer to 50. But um, it's, you know, the third down conversion is still better than our opponents. Our third, our, our opponents were 42% and we were 44%. So not bad. And then I will say our opponents were a little bit better on fourth down. They were at 52.78. So that's a, a decent difference. Um, but once again, you don't know how many times I actually go for it. So I would rather be better on third down than on fourth down because you're going for more third downs than fourth downs. But anyways, I thought those were some interesting stats. Um, like I said, a great season. Um, and to be honest, to wrap this thing up for me, as good as the offensive was, it was still better than I expected. I thought he would be good. I didn't think he'd be this good. I was still very leery. Like, I thought he would score points. I didn't think he'd be this easy. I didn't think he'd have guys running wide open against Florida, Bama, Georgia. You know, I didn't think that he would come out and, you know, absolutely take them out to the woodshed against Missouri and South Carolina. And then our defense was a hell of a lot better than I expected. And I don't – people can come at me and say, well, look at the stats, look at this, look at that. I don't care. I watched the game with my eyes, and that defense played well enough to win us certain games. And I did not trust Tim Banks at all, but I thought him and, – and one other thing, I never thought I'd be finishing the pod with this. I think you got to give a lot of credit to the special teams because necessarily, like, we didn't have great punt returns and great kick returns. We obviously had some good ones. But the fact that we blocked, I guess, what, two punts in two major games that were game changers, I, I can't remember the last time that's happened in a long time. Yeah. You know, and then uh, – Coach Eckler. Yeah, and then, like – yeah, I wish our field goals would have been a little bit better. But, I mean, I'm not really going to knock that guy for not being able to make a 56-yarder, like, or 50-whatever. Like, he shouldn't have been out there. So, anyways, like, overall, I, I, I you know, I'm not going to say I couldn't be happier because I could be happier, obviously, if we beat Pitt and, and, uh, and Ole Miss. But it's – I'm very, 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 very appreciative and happy of what this season was for us. Yeah, me too. I, I – um it exceeded expectations for sure. Uh, so that's it, man. That is the recap. Um, that is our thoughts. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, 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 hit that like button, hit that notification bell. Uh, so it lets you know when we're putting videos out every Wednesday. If you're on the podcast platforms, please rate and review and follow and download those podcasts. It helps so much with our numbers. Um, and if you want to contact us, 865-322-9232 is a phone number. And uh, I believe in TennesseeFootball at gmail.com is the email. Uh, and also follow us on social media. Interact with us on social media. Send us messages, DMs, respond to our tweets. We love it. We love to answer your questions. Uh, love to answer the ones on this, this pod today. Uh, so that's at Kyler Kerbison, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at rbacon26 on Twitter, at Believe in Tennessee on Twitter for our main account. Uh, as always, presented by betonline.ag. So head on over there if you're betting on anything, uh, any sport, any game. They got it all. Um, so appreciate it as always go balls.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.